<laughs> Welcome to part three of our interview with Ian Ogilvie, a life in film and television. So uh, we're going to dive into your film and TV life now. And I'm going to quote you again. There's no point in denying it. I've made a lot of rotten films and very few even passable ones. But, True. Uh, you know, Michael Caine talks about this too. You know, he, he's like, I, I just did, I worked. And a lot of them were, were bad. Mm. A spatter of them were good. Mm. But even if you look at his resume, it's, there's some pretty... Pretty bad films. Oh, yeah. But I think Michael Caine yeah. has never been known to turn a part down in a movie. <laughs> this is a very good technique. This is a very good thing to follow. I, I, I think everybody, every young actor and actress should do that. Do, Take I mean, everything. Unless it's pornography. <laughs> unless you want to do it. <laughs> no judgment here. Personal, personal preference. <laughs> personal preference. But I think, I, think, I think Michael Caine's experience should teach everybody not to get too damn snooty about a role. Mm. You know? Yeah, well, our yeah. job is to act. Yeah, our job sure. is to, to, to pay you the bills. You just like working. With... <laughs> you like making money. You know? yeah, yeah. Do you find that for young actors it's easier to start a career now than it was back in your day when you started? I have to say I think it was easier for us. Really? Not because... Not because um, how shall I put this? There were two TV, TV channels when I was a kid. Um, but... After the six o'clock news until midnight, when the TV station would shut down, there was just actors. There was no cooking shows. There were no reality shows. There were no nothing. It was just one after the other opportunities for actors. Also, I've talked already about the repertory system mm. in England. If you think that there's a theatre company in every town in England op offering opportunities, um, uh, movies were not so big back then. Um, I'm talking about the 1960s now. Um, television had really come up so much that, that indeed Hollywood in that time was struggling slightly. Right. It, it recovered, as mm -hmm. we all know. But at the time, Hollywood was going through a bad time and television was king. And television was, was um, the golden age for me, uh, was the 60s and the 70s and a bit the 80s because um, you kind of went from job to job. Well, mm -hmm. I know now we've got so many channels and we've got all the platforms, we've got the Netflixes, we've got all those things. But I don't see anybody working any more than, right. than We than also before. got more people trying to be actors now Yes, I suspect you, that's you true. Back then too. Yeah. I think I was very lucky. I think mm -hmm. I went through the golden age of, of television. Right. Uh, not that it was a golden age in terms of production or mm -hmm. of the wondrousness of the wonderful things we did, but um, in terms of employment, yes. I mean, I was, I never, I never ever did anything else. I never had to do anything else. I never had to take any other job uh, um, until later when roles began to dry up. And that's when I started writing books and things. Mm. And I found I could make a living doing that as well. But, um, but I was one of the lucky ones, you know. And, and, and a good friend of mine, an Englishman, said the other day, Acting now has become a part-time profession. It has to be. You have to be able to do something else because unless you are a major star or you've got a long run in a TV thing, it's just not consistent enough. Mm -hmm. So everybody needs a second string to their bow. But I, I have a feeling it was easier in my day. Yeah. All right. <laughs> One of the things you did that I found fascinating to get your career started, which is what many of us do, our production team does, is, is short films. Yeah. You, you and the... Like Michael Reeves, 
Yes. We would produce short films together. Well, when we were 15, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> and he had a little 8mm camera and no sound, you know, yes. But that was just, he wanted to be a film director and even mm -hmm. then I wanted to be an actor and we were yeah. put together by a mutual friend and I went to stay with him and his mother out in the country and we made this little movie and, yeah. Uh, and then the following year we did it again when he, he rented slightly better equipment. We had 16mm, not 8 And But I don't think that that's, it doesn't compare with what you guys are doing. First of all, look at the equipment you've got here. I mean, you can leave these cameras running and that doesn't matter. Your editing facilities are so much better. All, all the technique now is, is so advanced. Back then it was right. very crude, really. You know. That relationship, though, led to some, what, some big findings. Right? Yeah. You had uh, Witchfinder General. Well, the Sorcerers came first, and then you had Witchfinder yeah. General, which is actually still pretty popular amongst... Amongst major movie buffs, yes. It's yeah. become a kind of cult movie. Yeah. In America, it was called The Conqueror Worm. Uh, and, and, and everywhere else it was called Witch Final Drone. Yeah, and it's a sort of true story about a, a professional witch hunter in the 1600s who roamed e uh, the east part of England hanging and burning witches for a, a pound a go, you know, mm. a couple of bucks a go, <laughs> yeah. And I was the hero. <laughs> and Vincent Price was the witch finder. Yes, it's become quite a cult movie, that. Oh, yeah. working with the great Vincent Price. Yeah. How was that? Um, Interesting. <laughs> he was very nice. I, 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 people ask me a lot, what was it like working with Vincent Price? I say, have you seen the movie? I meet Vincent Price at the very beginning of the movie. We're all on horses, and we have a scene that lasts about a minute and a half. Right. He said, at the very end of the movie, we meet again, and, we, and, and I, I kill him with an axe. The rest <laughs> of the time, our stories are running parallel. So on the whole, I didn't really work with Vincent Price. Oh, I would okay. see him in the evening. We would have all the company would meet in the hotel and he'd tell wonderfully funny stories about Hollywood and jangle his turquoise bracelets. And he was a very funny man, but I didn't really work with him much. See, I didn't know about turquoise bracelets. Mm. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a big thing. Learn I something new every day. Well, yeah. you know. Not yet. What you are you going to do? What are you gonna <laughs> when you grow up. When I, when I, when I get there. When I, when I get there. Do you have more there, or is it? Is it's it, orange. I see it's orange. What, what, what about what about Rupert Davis, Patrick Waymark, and Jack Lynn? Yeah. Those are. <laughs> what about those? <laughs> any any interesting stories about those? I, I don't know if our audience is going to quite remember those names, but you no. know, I do, and no? it, no. I enjoy. Them. Why right, would well, you then, remember? Why would you remember them, dude? Because I'm a I'm a. I'm are you a movie buff? I'm a huge movie buff. I'm a, I'm a, did you know which final journal before you knew me? No, no, I did not. I did. I did not. No, but, but and you probably don't know it yet. You probably haven't seen no. it yet. Well, it's hard to find. I tried to find it. It is quite it's, hard it's, to find. It's actually. a little bit hard yeah. to find. It used to be when we first got Netflix. It was on Netflix. Was but it? But you know really? they shifted around. Also, they, the, yeah. They, yeah. But it was quite. It was big on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I'm a huge, and I'm also a huge British TV right. fan. So yeah. you know, like Faulty Towers, Upstairs. Down. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. Seen it all. So I, yeah, I'm a buff of that. Well, I also have, since you brought it up, you broke your toe in which final channel, right? Well, get, 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 yeah. get to the important yeah. stuff, toe-breaking. <laughs> this was a movie about uh, the, the English Civil War mm. and the Roundheads and the witch final and all that shit. And I'd spent a lot of time on a big horse riding around the countryside. I had a fight scene. During the fight scene, I'd jump off a table, and I did it badly on one take, and I, I broke a toe. Um for which the insurance company paid up an extra £10,000, which, which was much needed. Mm. And the director, who was a personal friend, Mike Reeves, who we and I did those little short films together, he said, could you break another bone? We need another 20000 <laughs> just to finish this goddamn film. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I spent a little time on a horse after that because yeah. it was just easier. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So you've worked with, uh, with many greats. you worked with many greats, yeah. James Mason being one of them. Um, 
what what was it like? What how do you feel? I mean, when you come up against a a major star like that, right? Because well, uh, I mean, yeah, in your career, Richard was Richard Burton, Helen Mirren. Yeah, did you ever feel intimidated? Um, yes, I suppose so. <clears throat> Mason, James Mason, was quite intimidating. Hmm. Uh, partly because there was a bit of a responsibility. They, the producer, had wanted me, but I was working. I was doing a movie. I was out in Greece doing some awful, dreadful film. And so he, he had a start date for the film. And so he had another actor, an English actor, a young actor. And for some reason, James Mason took against... James Mason was the star. Geraldine Chaplin was in it as well. James Mason took against this unfortunate young actor. Didn't like him. And started making waves about him. And eventually said, I don't want to work with this young man anymore. So the producer called my agent and said, is there any possibility that Ian Ogilvy is back from that film yet? And she said, yes, he comes back tomorrow. He said, okay, he starts work on Monday. <laughs> well, nice work if you can get it. That's yeah, <laughs> literally like that. Uh, and thank God James Mason liked me. But the responsibility of being liked by James Mason was rather big, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. at that point, knowing that somebody else had been fired for no reason whatsoever. The actor was perfectly good. There was no, was, just didn't like him. Just didn't, something about him he didn't like, yeah. <laughs> but that was the only time I ever come across that. James Mason had another interesting trick. He had his trailer on the set inside the soundstage, not outside, but it was actually inside. And over the years, he developed a trick where he would not leave his trailer until he heard the clap of the clapperboard going in. (laughs) Then he would walk out of his trailer, take his position and start acting. He would not come out before that. And he said, I've spent too long coming out and standing there, and all of a sudden the lighting man decides to relight the entire set. He said, and I don't do that anymore. <laughs> he was the most starry. I think he was probably the most starry of the of the well-known actors I worked with. Yeah, but yeah and he's. Did you find him to be a very good actor? Oh, wonderful! Yeah, yeah. I, I love James Mason. Yeah. I love that movie, um, The Verdict. Yes. He did no, he's he's, he's wonderful. Yeah. He was really good. Yeah, yeah. He's a great. Mm. On the flip side of that, did you ever feel like you rattled an actor? Did you ever? Because you had a bit of notoriety in England. Did you ever feel like you you got on stage or you did a project where? Oh, you were God. rattling a younger actor. No, I, I, no, I don't think so. I, I, no, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think I would want to do that either. You right. know. Um, no. Is there anything in my book that says I did? I was thinking the same thing. I think if there's anything no, no, I ever, no, ever did. No, I just wanted to know because yeah. you never really hear that from the other side. It's like, how does it feel to to know you can rattle somebody? Because oh, I don't think it occurs, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I mean I've always been a quite a good company man, and, and uh, I don't, I don't think it won. I don't, th- I don't think. I think it's uh, you're on a on a highway to nowhere if you if you mm. play games like that. I, I, you know, if you if you play the, sort of the big man on campus, or you know, yeah, I don't think that works at all. Really. Well, you, you can't create a bond, especially if you're in a cast. Yeah. It, it creates a separation. Yes, exactly, exactly, right. yeah. No, I, I think one, I think I've worked with so many really nice people and, and they don't make waves and things. I mean, mm. I did quite a few episodes of Murder, She Wrote, and I did quite a few episodes of Diagnosis Murder with Andrew Lansbury and Dick Van Dyke. Two of the most ordinary, nice, lovely, mm. you know, Dick Van Dyke never went to his dressing room. He just would stay and talk and chat. Right. And, and Angela was legendary for being a lovely woman. And mm. again, there's being nasty or being difficult is so much like hard work. It's much harder work being vile mm. than it is being pleasant. But I find that you get back on a set 
much easier when you're uh, like the darling of the yeah. set, yes. if you will, as opposed yeah. and if, to. And if the crew like you and everything, you know, and 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 if they you get their respect and things, that's a wonderful moment. And a lot of people don't think that's important, but it's yeah. important that the crew likes you. It's terribly important that crew likes you, yeah. well, particularly on a long-running thing. You know. well, absolutely, because yeah. because they're people you see every day. Every day, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking <laughs> of big stars, you you kind of came up with Michael York, and you yeah. were up against him and. For Taming of the Shrew, the mm-hmm. Young Lovers and Taming of the Shrew, and you were flown out to Rome to to go up against Michael Michael yeah. York. Well, he and I were, he was unknown too, by the way, at the time. I mean, nobody had ever heard of him. He he was a leading member of the National Youth Theatre, which was what it was—the National Youth Theatre with kids. Uh, yes, he and I and two young girls were flown out to to test for the parts of Lucentio and uh, is it Bianca and Lucentio? I think it is. Yeah, the two younger loving love interests. The boring ones in in Taming the <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton were the leads in this in this movie, directed by the great Zeffirelli. And I was flown out uh, to Rome, and they made a big deal out of it all. And and I looked at Michael. I took one look at this young actor who I'd never seen before, and I went, I think I should just go home now, because <laughs> he was interesting looking. I, I looked nice. I was quite good looking guy, but Michael York was something different. I mean, Michael, had his, he had the broken nose, he had the strange hair, he had the Slavic cheekbones, and I went, ah, I hope in hell here. <laughs> and there wasn't I, at all, no well, hope Because he's all. very attractive, but he's, had, he's got that, that character thing yeah, going on. Yeah, and, 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 uh, he's was, been uh, through something. But I had a nice weekend in Rome, and uh, ah, well, testing and doing a bit of Shakespeare. And, right. yeah. and, and, you know, you met your first wife. Yes, um, one of the actresses who was testing was uh, a girl called Diane, and... Um, I married her later on. She wasn't an actress, though. She was a model, and, and Franco Zeffirelli, the director, had seen a picture of her in a magazine and said, that's Bianca. Test her. Which was, I think, rather stupid thing <laughs> to do, really. I mean, why assume you know, she could act? And she, she couldn't, really. Because she was pretty. But she was very pretty, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so she became my first one. <laughs> so I got something out of that movie. Well, you know, yeah. it was a good audition. Yeah. It was a good audition. Yeah. Um, you know, television is uh, is how an actor makes a living, and this is where you found uh, uh, your success essentially in television. What was uh, what was filming like in the '60s and '70s, and how was it different from what we do today? As <laughs> you drove a car into a lake yeah, at some point. That. Well, at the, at the very beginning, of course, it was black and white television, mm. um, and sets were painted a curious rust brown because rust brown seemed to come out well. They could get shades better with using rust brown. And the makeup was rather odd. Um, it was rather exaggerated. Uh, but color came in. Ing- you already had color, by the way, America, by the mm. time when I was doing early television, which was about 1964, 65, I started doing television. Well, you guys were still doing black and white mm. over there. Mm. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, and it was very different because it was all on videotape. No, not even, well, yes, it was, a, it was put on videotape, which was incredibly expensive material back then. Um, we would rehearse it like a play in a rehearsal room and then do it the entire thing like a play because it was, it was more difficult to cut. And these, the, this stuff was, was so precious that they wanted to use it again. So the BBC notoriously over-recorded over thousands and thousands of hours of great and extraordinary English television from the 1960s and early 70s. They, re- they use the tape again. So and there's it's no lost record. forever. Gone oh. forever. Oh. Quite oh. extraordinary. Several, several uh, stuff that I did was gone because they u- reused the tape. 
It never occurred to the dear old BBC that some of this stuff might actually be valuable or might like to be seen by future generations. Well, absolutely. Quite absolutely. <laughs> but then later on, uh, videotape obviously became cheaper and easier to handle, yeah. and they discovered ways of doing it. So then life became a lot easier, and a lot of it was done on film. But, but it was always a, like a two-week rehearsal period of, of actually rehearsing it entirely before you then went in and shot it. Here, of course, you go in and you shoot the whole thing like a movie, immediately. And no, that's not true. Sitcoms, of course. Half-hour sitcoms, you do rehearse, a bit like a play. Yeah. Right. You still do, to this day, do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but your first hit, your first big TV spot was on The Liars, right? Was, was one? That, the Liars. The Liars, the yes. It wasn't much of a hit. It was a series. Or I think there were 13 episodes. Yeah. It was so esoteric and, and, and elitist that I don't think anybody watched it. Yeah. But it was a very early television. It was your first big gig. It was That's my first big said, yeah. gig. I was one of the four stars of it. And my salary was £60 a show, which is what? About 100 bucks. I got 100 bucks a show as one of the four stars of a TV series. Well, there you go. <laughs> but that was England in the 1960s, you think. Yeah. 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 We could probably do a lot more if people got that kind of pay now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Probably. It's Meryl Streep. I'll just take sixty bucks for this. Hundred yeah. bucks for this. Yeah, but then movie. you can make a living off of it. Well, that's yeah. true. That's true. Then you'd have to. Everybody would have to be employed as a waiter. Well, that's, mm -hmm. then they would take my parts. I would. <laughs> before we move on with your. Before we move on talking about television, we we did skipped over something I really wanted to talk about. You you did a film called Waterloo. With some very famous actors, Rod Steiger, Rod Steiger, and Christopher Plummer. Mm, yeah. How was how was that experience? You lived in Ukraine for a little yes. while. How was that? It was an extraordinary experience. It was a Russian, Italian, American co-production, the very first really of its kind. Um, <clears throat> it was an enormous movie. It was a movie about the Battle of Waterloo, mm. and it had Rod Steiger was played Napoleon, and Christopher Plummer played the Duke of Wellington, and and it, it was all star cast. And uh, we went to the Ukraine, not the, it's, we went to Ukraine to shoot it. And our armies were, of course, the Red Army, the, the, the Russian army. We had 20,000 extras. We had 5,000 horses. Now, of course, it's all done by CGI, but when we did it in 1969, <laughs> it was all for real. It was just the most extraordinary yeah. experience to go on that battlefield and see that many real people marching in, and the only way you could do it was with professional soldiers. You couldn't really do it with, with extras at all. Um, they had uh, trucks set up on the hillside, and the entire truck was an amplifier, and, a, and, a, and a, a Russian sergeant with a microphone would speak into this, and, and, he, and people on the other hill could hear, and he could marshal an entire regiment oh, from wow. where he stood there. We, every shot was shot with about eight or, or five or six or seven, eight cameras. Um, yeah, it was an extraordinary experience. Really. That's a lot of film. Yeah. <laughs> and My part was a lovely part. I, I played uh, Duke of Wellington's aide-de-camp, um, a character called Major General Sir William Delancey. It was only after I finished shooting the film I discovered he was, in fact, an American. Nobody had bothered to tell me that, but never mind. <laughs> um, the value anyway. of research. <laughs> yes, do your research. Awesome. Uh, anyway, but my entire role consisted of repeating Christopher Plummer's line. So he uh, would lean off his horse and say, the army will retreat 5,000 paces. I go, the army will retreat 5,000 paces. I never had to learn a line. It was the easiest job I ever did in my life. It was wonderful. you got to love that. That's great. And... Another story I kind of have from when you did Ernest was that 
once we kind of signed off of rehearsal, because we did it over Zoom, I went and turned on the TV. I think I did tell you this. I went and turned on the TV, and, and I clicked on a channel. I clicked on HBO or something. I saw Bruce Willis there. Hmm. I was like, he's got, like, dyed hair, and I'm like, he looks weird. I'm going to sit and watch this for just a second. And not 30 seconds goes by, and the camera turns around, and you're right there. It's <laughs> like... I just, just, just left rehearsal with that guy, oh. and it, it was you were so wonderful because that that character is just so out of nowhere. And of course, I'm talking about Death Becomes Her yeah. with with Meryl Streep and uh, Bruce Willis. And, I read a lovely yeah. thing the other day in oh, the paper about about somebody, one of the critics of critic criticizing Zemeckis' most recent movie, and they said they wished it had some of the magic of his best movie ever, which was Death Becomes mm-hmm. Her. According in, in 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 the opinion of this particular critic, right. yeah, it yeah. It was a lovely thing to do, and, and, and it was just a cameo. It was a little tiny, tiny little part. Right. But, but because people had dropped out, Tracy Ullman was supposed to be in it, but they cut her role out. So that's why I actually get fifth billing on this movie, but oh, it's right. only because Tracy Ullman got cut. Yeah, it was a lovely little part. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great little part, and you just, yeah. you just take it away. And, and I still, you know, I got, a, I got a residual check yesterday <laughs> from that movie, yeah. Oh, yeah. very nice. Yeah. 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 It's one of those popular ones that they run all the time, all the time. Was yeah. it a residual check that you would like to take a picture of and show people how little it was? It or was, was not it? that little. No, it was okay, like, good. It was like a hundred bucks or something like that. Okay, that's is, still you know, good, that's still good. Eye, yeah, right. I've got them for 30 cents before. <laughs> those you frame or you throw away. Yeah. It costs more to mail it than it My does. My accountant no. said, please don't bother me with these. <laughs> yeah. There's no point even putting them in the bank. Yeah, that movie I think was just put on HBO, so mm. maybe that's why you're getting yeah, paid for it. Yeah. But uh, kind of going back to your television career, you, you landed I, Claudius by just calling up the, the director. Bill? Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <clears throat> not quite as easy as that. Um, <laughs> like, hey, I'd like yeah. a part. <laughs> well, I'm very proud of being in I, Claudius because it's one of those things everybody remembers or knows something about. Mm-hmm. And um, I heard it was going to be done, and I'd read the books, and I love the books. So Herbie Wise was the director, and I'd worked with Herbie many, many times. Herbie Wise is one of those directors who liked having a, like a repertory company of actors that he trusted and liked. So once you got into his repertory company, you, he, would, he would use you over and over again. And so I'd worked with Herbie maybe six times. And he wasn't a great personal friend, but it, it, was, it was enough for me to be able to call him up and say, um, Herbie, it's Ian Ogilvy. Oh, hello. I said, um, I hear you doing... Uh, I Claudius said, yep. I said, can I be in it? He went, yes. I said, oh, good. Um, uh, can I play Caligula? He went, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I said, why not? He said, because John Hurt's playing Caligula, all right? I said, oh, what am I playing? He said, you're playing, you're playing uh, Claudius's father. You're playing Drusus, his dad. Great American, a great American, a great, uh, a great Roman general. I said, I said, do I get to wear one of those breastplates with the muscles? He went, yes, yes, absolutely. You'll have one of those. <laughs> so that's how I got the part in, in yeah. I, Claudius. I think I was in the first two episodes. I mean, he's a baby. I mean, people say, how could you be his father? Because they remember the series of Derek Jacobi playing Claudius, right. and he's always an old man. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, he is a baby. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Derek, Derek Jacobi still calls you. And Derek Jacobi to this day calls me dad when we meet. Yeah. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi, dad. And, and worked with John Hurt. How about that? That's well, a, I didn't because he played Caligula. Well, yeah, and of course, <laughs> of course, and of course that was a bit like the bombs falling in wartime. I can talk about it, but yeah. that didn't actually work. I it. know. Yeah. I, 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 I we were in the same thing. I get starstruck if we're in the same Patrick thing. Patrick Stewart was in. I mean, everybody was in this show sooner yeah. or later. I showed it to my American wife when I came to America in 1989. We had a box set of it. 
And she looked at it, she went, this is just a soap opera in togas. <laughs> <laughs> and she was absolutely right, it was a soap opera. Because we, we, we did it the old way, with videotape. So it was a videotape thing, very mm-hmm. flat on, very like a play. You know, no big scenes in the Colosseum because there was no money for that kind of thing. It was all talking. Yeah, right. it was but but you were all very good at talking, yeah. so it made yeah, it, it made us want to pay attention yeah. to what and was I going on. And I have a rather bizarre question: Can you act horizontally now? Uh, 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 <laughs> I'm afraid of that one. <laughs> this is a story which is quite a fun little story. My character died on the battlefield, but he was horribly wounded. His leg was smashed to bits. Right. Uh, Completely smashed a bit, and he, he died in his tent several days later, apparently, of, of gangrene. That's the theory. So we, had, we didn't have the battle scene, but we had the scene of me being carried to my tent on a stretcher, and then me dying beautifully on my bed in my tent. And uh, we rehearsed it like a play. But unfortunately, they didn't have a stretcher for me to be carried on. So we would do the little scene, which is just me being taken, but I couldn't be carried, so I would simply walk. It was a scene that lasted eight seconds, me walking next to the two men, supposedly carrying a stretcher. (laughs) Herbie Wise said, Ian, after a bit, he said, Ian, are you ever actually going to act being hurt? I said, Herbie, okay. (laughs) This doesn't make sense, I said. My leg is so smashed, I die of it in two days. He can't walk. So for me to kind of limp next to the stretcher doesn't make any sense so I'm waiting for a stretcher then I'll act like crazy he went you mean you can only really act horizontally I said you got it I really am only I'm a horizontal actor (laughs) nice but it was odd for the director to ask me to act wounded when the wound precluded any perambulation it wouldn't make any sense Uh, well I think we've finally come to the part you've been waiting this entire time you yes. want to go ahead and take it uh-huh. yes uh, you, oh, 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 where are we oh, the saint now we come to the saint the, uh, the return of the saint yeah. uh, you are one of the few who have donned this role mm. how'd you get the job um, first off I probably need to say that the beginning of the job was Roger Moore I yes. believe was, uh, yes. was the Interestingly, you know, people, people identify the same mainly with Roger Moore. Understandably, Roger Moore did a hugely long television series. I think he made about 150 episodes. I made 26 episodes. So people, more people remember Roger. What they don't remember is Roger, in the terms of the number of people who were playing Saints, was about number 20. I mean, um, uh, George Sanders had played it. Tom Conway had played it. Uh, Vincent Price played it on the radio. Uh, there were South African actors who played it. So w- w- Roger Moore was way down the line of the Saints, but he was the most famous. I'll tell you how I got the part. Uh, I was in a play. I was in a TV show, almost as iconic as um, I Claudius called Upstairs Downstairs. Yes. Mm. And um, I did five episodes of that. <laughs> And uh, when it came time for the producer of The Saint to think about reviving the show, because Roger had left it in the late 1960s, and Robert Baker, who was the producer, wanted to do it again with another actor. And uh, his wife said, you know who you should get? You should get that chap from, from Upstairs Downstairs, because he looks a bit like Roger Moore. Oh, no. <laughs> That's how I got the part. I got the part because I looked a little bit like Roger Moore. Simple oh, as that. All right. And he interviewed me. I went for an interview with him, and... and um, he said, well, look, I don't actually have the money yet, uh, and I still have to sell it, uh, sell the idea and all the rest of it, but would you like to do it if I can get the money together? I said, yeah, sure, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there was no audition involved at all. So none? No. 
Six years later, maybe even seven years later, I get a call from my agent saying, do you know somebody called Robert S. Baker? He wants you to play the same. Took that long for him to get it yeah. back. Oh, you'd forgotten yeah. about it by that time. Well, I hadn't. You don't forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> did, yeah. did you ever feel like you were living in the image of Roger Moore while doing that? Uh, the nice thing about it was there had been such a long gap hmm. between Roger Moore giving up or not doing it anymore, going off to be James Bond, and me taking over. It wasn't like it was the next day. Um, I also, by then, had been, I was fairly, I'd been in the business for nearly 20 years. 15 years. So you were kind of a familiar face to somebody Yes, I'd done TV. a few things. I wasn't famous by any mm -hmm. means at all, but I'd done a few things. And I also knew something about characters like that. Like that mm -hmm. Bond and the Saint and all those hero characters are characterless. They don't have a character. They are entirely what the actor does with them. It's the actor is mm -hmm. who, who becomes the character rather than the character becoming the actor. Um, it's like Dickens, Dickens' heroes. If you ever read any Dickens, Dickens' heroes are boring as hell. All the fun roles are the, the peripheral right. characters. But the real heroes are just boring goody-goodies. Mm -hmm. Well, you could argue that about the Saint and James Bond, really. I mean, they're just blanks, and you have to, it's like a blank slate. And so it's just a personality job, really. Right. And I thought, well, my personality is mine, and Rogers mm -hmm. was Rogers, and um, I'll just do me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, what else can you do with it? There's nothing right. else you can do with it, really. You know. When you when you show up and you have kind of a recurring role like that, what do you do to keep things kind of fresh, especially in an action-heavy show? Mm. What do you, as an actor, what do you do to keep things fresh and not not dull? It didn't really go on for long enough for right. it ever to become that stale. I mean, it was very sad when it stopped because there was no particular reason for it to stop. We we had been enormously successful. We sold in seventy three countries. It was a huge hit in 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 England. Um, what happened was that our major producer, a man called Lord Grade, who owned the television station, uh, didn't particularly like it because it cost too much money. The second thing was he had this desperate ambition to become Louis B. Mayer and be a great big film producer. <laughs> so what he did was he took all the profits from his most profitable shows, mine included, cancelled all of them, put all the money into a series of appalling movies that he produced. <laughs> One of them was called Raise the Titanic, yeah. about raising the Titanic. And apparently when he saw the final budget of it, Lord Grade said, raise the Titanic, it would have been cheaper to lower the ocean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, all his movies failed, and eventually he got taken over by a South African entrepreneur called Robert Holmes, of course, which was a bit of schadenfreude on my part. I rather mm. enjoyed seeing that because my show could have gone on forever, frankly. Right. right. Uh, and I know it sounds like uh, whiny, whiny little nah. bit, but it could have gone on for longer yeah. and it just didn't because of the whims of one person, really. Yeah. So I only made 26 episodes. So I'd never really got, really got tired of it. You know what I mean? Mm. It was... Uh, we are just getting your legs by yeah. the time you ended. Yeah. I, also, I also did quite a lot of surreptitious rewriting. The, the, the scripts for things like that are very kind of basic. Mm. You know, they're very kind of, you do that and I'll hit you. It's all kind right. of stuff and there's nothing interesting in it. So I would do little rewrites and I'd say to the actor who I was playing the scene with, you'll get the same number of lines, you'll get the same meaning, and I promise you you'll get the same cue. But with inside it, I might do some fiddling around, all right? And right. they were always fine about it. I said, and by the way, help us do, do the same thing. So mm -hmm. This is rubbish. All this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the writer appreciated that. Well, thank God they weren't around. <laughs> yeah. Well, Roger Moore did show up on set one day. Yes, he did. He, he, yes, he did. 
we were in Italy, and uh, Roger suddenly appeared because he was, you know, he spent a lot of time in Italy. He lived there for a while, and uh, he suddenly turned up. And of course, he knew the crew. The crew that we were using were the same crews he used, so they were all good friends. And I'd met Roger a couple of times. And anyway, we all got terribly, terribly drunk that night. And he insisted we all stayed up and swapped stories and we all sat around and listened to Roger. <laughs> and I got to bed at about three or four o'clock in the morning. I had a six o'clock call the next day. And I, I got up and I was badly hungover. And I staggered down and the, 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 the DP, the d d director of photography, Frankie, was there. He was even worse than me. He said, oh, God, I feel stressful. I said, Frankie, all you've got to do is light it. I've got to fucking act it. You know, it's terrible. <laughs> As we're standing there, we heard this, Hello, chaps, how are you? And there was Roger, who drank ten times more than us and had <laughs> been much drunker than us. <laughs> he looked like a 12-year-old boy. And he, he looked just fine. And we both, from that moment, pretty much hated Roger. And <laughs> it's because he didn't have to work that day. That's oh, but did. also, I just think he, he <laughs> had that facility to, to be able to do things like that. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, going off that, and, and this will be the last question of this part, there's a rumor that goes around yeah. the Academy that, that you were almost James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is there any truth to that? I, along with many other English actors, was considered, inevitably. Mm. I'd played the same. You know, it was a logical progression. But every now and again, the English tabloid newspapers might have a, a slow day, and they would do a, who's going to be the new Bond? There'd be a list of 20 of us. I was just one of the 20, right? There were lots of actors who could have played it including the person who did like Timothy Dalton and, mm -hmm. and other people um, I was obviously in the running for it and then one day I was out at lunch out in the country there was this American there who turned out to be I think one of the he would think he was the publicity chief of the production company that made the Bond films and he said can I have a word and after lunch he said I, I thought I might tell you this he said because I think it's a kindness actually he said you've been considered and the consideration went as close to say look if we wanted another Roger Moore, we'll get him. But we don't want to put another <laughs> oh, Roger Moore. We want, an, we want another Sean Connery. Yeah. And I went, so I haven't got it. He said, definitely not. I went, what a relief that is. That is, that is thank you so much. That was the nicest thing anybody's ever yeah. done. Because then I could then say to the press, look, forget it. Take me out of the running. I know for a fact I'm not doing mm -hmm. I also, to be quite honest, and this is not false modesty, I didn't think I'd have been any good at it. Really? Huh. Roger Moore was head and shoulders bigger than me. His show, he was a very big guy, mm. tall, very strong. I was always rather a slightly built man. I've never had big muscles and all the rest. Of the, all the fight scenes in The Saint are ridiculous. You know, they come at me, three huge men, like, right. tur, 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 and they all fall over. It's ridiculous. Karate chop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My wife likes the scene best in The Saint where I come into a courtyard and I have a gun it's about the size of a, it's a little tiny, tiny little pistol. It's about this big, right? All the bad guys have submachine guns. I say, drop your guns. And they all do. Whoa, it's magic. <laughs> it's my wife's favorite scene in the show. <laughs> so um, in answer to the question, I was actually quite relieved. I don't think I'd have, I'd have been a very good one. Mm. Mm. Oh. Oh. I don't know if I agree with that, but so they went with uh, Timothy Dalton and said that was. And that Tim was Dalton the, did yeah. it, and 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 you know I I've, I've always thought he was one of the best. He was ahead of his time. I, I agree. Actually. You know, I mean, he's doing. He started to try and do what Daniel Craig is now doing. Absolutely. But people wanted the more. They still wanted the kind of Roger Moore quips. You know, the little right. jerks, the little raised eyebrows, all that. Still wanted that. Yeah. yeah. No, Living Daylights, yeah. I think, is actually pretty. Yeah, pretty he's good very movie. good. I thought. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah. I agree. And Tim's, and by the way, he's taller than me. Again, really? Tim is a bigger man. Than well, because me. you've worked with him as well. Yes, right? I did yeah. Wuthering Heights with him. That's right. Yep. Playing the, the worst role in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Claire, well, playing the Edgar Linton role, the role that in the movie with Laurence Olivier and uh, uh, was played by David Niven, and he always hated it. And when I did it, I hated it too. It was a dreadful part. Mm-hmm.